Thank you, Lord. Father, we just praise you. We praise you. We praise you. Hallelujah. We enter into your gates with thanksgiving. Into your courts with praise. We're thankful unto you. We bless your name because you are good. Your mercy is everlasting. Your truth endures through all generations. Thank you, Lord. It's good to taste and see that the Lord is good, isn't it? Thank you, Lord. Father, tonight as we come before you, we would not be presumptuous to start anything without first acknowledging you. Your word says that all of our ways acknowledge you and you would direct our path. Well, the entrance of your word brings light and we welcome the Holy Spirit to teach us your ways, O Lord, so that we can walk in your truth and give us an understanding heart so that we can follow you. Thank you for all of the worshipers who have come out tonight from the parking lot all the way to this platform. And let relevant ministry take place, Father, from the nursery all the way up to the elderly. Now, Father, we thank you today that our hearts are ready, our minds are fixed and alert to receive your word. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. When again, you call your church back to yourself, redeem anyone that's uh, lost, uh, Father, reclaim anyone that's backslidden, add to the church those who will be saved and added to the church, and then build us up so that we can totally follow you with all of our hearts. We thank you for it now in Jesus name. And everyone say it. Amen. Well, you could be seated in the presence of the Lord and in the company of God's saints. Again, we thank the Lord for the privilege he's given us over these days to come and to uh, share with you. And we honor his presence in this place today. If you have a Bible, could you hold it up or your digital instrument, wherever you may be pulling your scriptures from tonight and uh, make this declaration after me. This is my Bible, though there are many in the world. This one is mine. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and he is a rewarder. Of those that diligently seek him. Because I am a diligent seeker of God. My life will be better. Because I have heard the word of faith. Do you believe that? I believe that. Let's make our lives better. By hearing the word of God. And faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. We've been looking at this incredible prophet. Whose name is Hosea. And we've looked at the status of Hosea and his wife, Gomer, as he is told to marry a woman of harlotry and bring forth children of harlotry. Secondly, we have looked at how God told Hosea to dramatize what Israel was doing for him, both the northern and the southern kingdoms. That they had gone after Baal, false worship. They had gone after idols. And he said, whenever a nation goes after idols and idolatry, It will be impacted into the third and the fourth generation. Idolatry is the only sin that is listed in the Ten Commandments that has transgenerational impact. Transgenerational impact. Not only is the sinner themselves impacted, but that commandment says, if you bow down to idols, I would visit that iniquity to the third and the fourth generation. We find out even after they go into captivity for 70 years and come out, During the days of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13, uh, when they come out of Babylonian captivity, that the youth, they could speak the language of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, but they could only speak half in the language of Judah. We're raising up a generation today that they know the tongues of all the rappers, all the popular pop singers, but they cannot speak, sing the songs of Zion and cannot speak the words of Judah, the words of praise. We're asking a question. Why is it that at age 18, when most of our students graduate, the statistics are now saying that 90% of our youth now, Bible-believing youth, walk away from the church and don't come back until they're in their 30s. They come limping back to the church. And I use the word limping over this weekend because most of the time between age 18 and 30 is when most of our 
uh, young adults are now using, uh, or I'm sorry, making decisions that are going to impact them for the rest of their life. They're making decisions on who they're going to marry, what they believe, where they're going to live, the career that they're going to pursue. And yet during that 12 year span, 18 to 30 or mid thirties, most of them make those decisions without God. That would be one thing, but now we live in a generation because of the compromise of parents where parents are now being forced or even being pressured or being seduced to buy into those kind of decisions. So Nehemiah, when they came out of the, uh, out of, uh, out of Babylonian captivity, about 444 BC, part of what he did was the last part of restoring Israel's city, rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the gate as he went in and he cleansed the temple. And he found that even in the priestly ministry, the leaders, the worship leaders, they were married to Sam Ballot's daughters. They had compromised and even their worship leaders had intermarried with pagans. And Nehemiah warns us, did not Solomon, with all of his wisdom, fail and go astray by marrying foreign women? We have married foreign gods. Our children are now marrying Moabites, Hittites, termites, parasites, everything else. And it would be one thing if they did that, but now the lies being told, if you say anything against your child, you do not love them. And I made this statement on Sunday night. It's possible, it's possible to love your child and not agree with them. You don't, you can love them and not say amen to everything that they do. God so loved the world, but he doesn't say every amen to everything that we do. And it's one thing to have them make bad decisions. It's another thing for us to say amen and buy into it. And that's the spirit of seduction that's in the world. Now he spoke about Gomer and Hosea and Israel and God. But then we looked into the church because Ephesians 5 says that the church is a picture of marriage. That when man should love his wife, even as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. Tonight, what I'd like to do if the Lord and the Holy Spirit gives us help. It's to look at, uh, continue to look at the indictment that God brings against Israel. And he gives us several pictures of what happens when we join ourselves, our affection, our priority, and our loyalty to something else. What do we look like as a church? Because we also have to ask the question, when did the church lose its influence in America? There's a time when the church influenced everything, public policy, decency laws. Uh, there were times when there were blue light laws where, where, where stores couldn't even open up on Sunday. It was from the church that things like prohibition happened. It was from the church that women's rights began to happen. The church used to be a vibrant counterculture in America. And when did the church lose its influence? I'd like to suggest to you tonight from the book of Hosea that we lost our influence when we started running after everything. Wanted to be like our neighbors, wanted to be in the, in the name of being contemporary and relevant like the world. And Hosea paints some pictures. Now I do, I want to bring the indictment, but as Pastor John said, I want to heal us up tonight. Don't want to leave uh, Seacock with us open on the surgeon table. Because people left open on the surgeon's table too long will get infected. I believe that in every prophet, there's a word of hope, no matter how confrontational it was. So let's get at it. Hosea chapter four, verse 16. Let's look at a couple of pictures. In Hosea chapter four and verse number 16, the first thing that the Lord says for Israel is stubborn. She's like us. She is like a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let them forge like a land in open country. The first thing that the Lord says when we go after idolatry and he confronts us and we do not turn is that we are stubborn. The word stubborn just simply means unyielding. And it's one thing to be wrong. It's another thing to be confronted when you're wrong and not repent. It's another thing to be confronted when we're wrong and also not turn. And he says she's stubborn like a calf. And and the picture here is like uh, at that particular time, sometime uh, calves would dig in their heels and would not move even though you had a rope around their neck. Sometimes they would even put a yoke of a yoke across oxen's shoulders and they would would have them pull a wagon and sometimes they would become stiff necked. As long as they held their head down, that 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 yoke would be used on their shoulder to pull the load. But when they become stiff necked and lift up their head so they can choose the way that they want to go, that little rope would slide back and they would start choking. And he said that Israel is like a backslidden ox. 
he said that, that she's lifting up her head trying to go the way that she wants to go. And she's stumbling and sliding back. He said that she is stubborn. Friends, I believe that one of the things that we need to bring back to the church is the word yield. Whatever happened to songs like yield not to temptation. For yielding to sin. Each victory will help you some other to win. Fight manfully onwards. Dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus. He will carry you through. Ask the Savior to help you. Comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. Whatever happened to those old hymns that we used to sing that says, you don't yield to temptation today. We live in a situation where people stand up in the church and say, well, this is me. I'll marry who I want to marry. I'll go with who I want to go to. I'll show up when I want to show up. And what happened to the time that we yield? You know, even when we drive sometime and you get ready to get on a freeway, there's a yield sign. Now, I know most of you don't know what that means because I've watched some of you drive. <laughs> but, the, but the yield sign really means you stop and let somebody else go ahead. Look at your neighbor and say, you know what it means. <laughs> tell him you know what he's saying. That's what the word yield means. But sometimes at yield intersection, there crashes because the person that's supposed to stop and let the other go ahead, they think that they can make it by themselves. I can just squeeze in ahead of them. And when it comes to God, I don't want to be out in front of God. I want to stop, slow down, let him get ahead and become a follower to him Her first indictment is that you are stubborn. The next one that it says about Ephraim in verse number 17, it says, and Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. And here he says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Listen, this is an indictment from God because God says to the prophet, she's joined herself to idols. Let her alone. This is God's voice. I've given up on her. Let me give you this stern warning. You and I never want to get in a position where God gives up on us. I don't know where that line is, but in Romans chapter one, it says that the creation or the things that can be known of God are plainly seen in the creation. It then goes on to say, but when man in his own wisdom He changes the truth of God and turns it into a lie. God will give them up. He then says, even the very glory of God that can be revealed through nature. God changed it. Man changes it into the glory of four footed beasts and creeping things and other things. And they worship them rather than God. Idolatry. And Romans says for the second time, and God gave them up. To their own vile affections. The third thing that he says. And man left the natural use of a woman. Burning in his lust. Man for man. And women leave the natural use of a man. Burning in their lust. One to another. And it says. And God gave them up. Three times in Romans chapter one. It says. And God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. Here in Hosea. He says. Ephraim has gone after idols. Leave them alone. I never want to hear God say. I gave up on Lafayette. He's gone his own way. Leave him alone. Friends, seek ye the Lord. Listen to this. While he may be found. Could that scripture imply that there's a day that God cannot be found? That somehow in our unyielding and the hardness of our heart, God who wants to reach out to us, love us with his loving kindness and tender mercy, his loving kindness and tender mercy refuses to be found. And because of our divided loyalties and our divided affection, God says, leave them alone. Let them go their own way. It's almost like the prodigal problem. When the prodigal son says, give me my stuff. And the father gives him his stuff and he goes his own way. And it seems like the father does not track him down. But somehow... When he gets in a mess, a pig pen, he comes to himself. He remembers his father's house and he returns to his father's house because he begins to say, in my father's house, there's bread enough and despair. Here's the challenge in the 21st century. At least that prodigal son had the uh, father's house in his history. We are now living with a generation that does not know anything about the father's house. 
And I found out that when you get in trouble, you will always go back to your past. And at least in that young man's life, he had the past in his history. Because when you live, lose a vision for your future, you always go back to your past. What's in your past? I trust that in our past somewhere is the father's house, the household of God. Because if all there was was alcohol in your past, when you lose a vision for your future, you'll go back to your past. If all there was was drugs in your past, when you lose a vision for your future, you'll go back to your past. But if the father's house is in your past, when you lose a vision for your future, you'll go back to your past. There's a place where God lets you come back. But then it says, Ephraim has joined herself to idols. Leave her alone. Look at me in uh, Hosea chapter seven, verse number eight. Again, he just drives home the picture of the mess that she is in. Ephraim chapter seven, or I'm sorry, Hosea chapter seven and verse number eight. Watch this now. Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. Now watch this. New Living Translation says, Ephraim, the people of Israel, mingle with the godless foreigners, making themselves as worthless as a half-baked cake. Have you ever cooked? How many people have ever cooked pancakes? Good. Put your hands down. Some of y'all, I guess you must be on Weight Watchers or something. Won't raise your hand. Listen. What can you do with a pancake that has not been turned? The fire has only hit half of it. And the challenge that we find in the church today is some people pray send the fire, but only halfway. Only cook me a little bit, God. But what God wants to do is he wants the fire to thoroughly cook us, which means he has to turn us over. Because there are the obvious things that need the fire needs a hit. But then sometimes there are the less obvious things that the fire need to hit. And listen, when a cake is unturned and when it's half-baked, it's not good. You can't do anything with a half-baked pancake. She's a cake not turned. And friends, I never want to be indicted before God that I'm useless. And God is saying about his people, you've become useless to me. What can I do with you? Because she had joined herself to foreign nurse and they were influencing her life. If you think that that's not bad enough in verse number four, he says something or I'm sorry. In verse number nine, seven, nine, he says the aliens have devoured his strength. He does not know. Yes, gray hair is uh, are here and there on him. Yet he does not know it. Listen, one of the indictments out of Deuteronomy 28 is that if Israel would turn away from God, that the foreigner that was in her midst would rise above her and the foreigner would be very high and she would be very low. Even God said, I will make you a sign for the nation. Here he says, listen, you have joined yourself to idols. Ephraim has joined herself to idols, let her alone. Then he comes back and he says, she's a cake half baked. And now he says, listen, listen, the aliens or the foreigners are starting to decay you. And when it mentions gray hair, he's not talking about her becoming old. He says, you're starting to decay. You don't even know it. That's what's wrong with America right now. America used to be the hope of the nation financially, the hope of the nation financially in that America sent out missionaries every place in America uh, through its foreign aid funds would undergird and would help through humanitarian work and those kinds of things. And now we're finding ourselves where we used to be a lending nation. And now we are a borrowing nation. And hear me well, when we start borrowing money against folks that don't like us and hate us, we are not wise. And could it be that we are living in a day in a nation when the international that's among us is raising up very high and those that have been indigenous and natives in America are starting to get very low. Isn't it interesting that every foreigner can come into this nation and it's kind of, I'm not speaking against aliens. And many times they start businesses, they prosper, they start shops and they do well. And the people that are living there are saying, well, I've been here all my life. Why can't I do that? Could it be that the hand of God is saying, I'm trying to get your attention. When the president of China can come to our nation and sit down with our president and have a private meeting. 
And tell him you better straighten up your finance in this nation because you owe us too much money. The borrower is subject to the lender. And yet God has said of his people, you should lend and not borrow. And he said, decay is starting to set in. And I don't believe that that starts in the nation because I'm not at all confused with the fact that America is not the church. But I believe that America reflects the church because the way that the, the church goes is the way that the nation goes. And here he says, decay is set in. You are stubborn. You are joined to idols. I'll leave you alone. You are cake half baked. He says, and there is decay setting in. Look in verse number 11. Now you'll love this one. Ephraim is like a silly dove. 7-11. Without sense, they call to Egypt and they go to Assyria. What he says about Ephraim in verse number 11, the New Living Translation said the people of Israel have become like a silly dove, witless doves. It says first calling to Egypt and then flying to Assyria for help. Listen, when you and I are in trouble and we are just running all over the place to get out of trouble, something's wrong. A few years ago, about 52 congregations in our city got together and we had some, about four Jewish synagogues, I believe, as well as the rest were Christian congregations, got together because we said that there were some things that were unjust going on in our city. They were unjust and they just weren't affecting Christians, they were affecting everybody. And one of the things that we discovered was that the poorest of the poor were being gouged by places called payday lending. I don't even know if you have them up here. Where people could borrow against the check that they were going to get next week. They had interest rates that if you were a day late, they would double and triple. There used to be people that ran around the community called loan sharks. They would loan you money and they would charge you exuberant interest rate and it would compound and compound at such a high rate that once you got in, you could never get out. And now this had become legalized. And what we found out is that people got in financial trouble, so they tried to borrow against their future. And they just started running from place to place, and then they were borrowing from one payday check place and got money on that one to pay another place. And it was a vicious cycle, and some people were in such bondage that they were having mental breakdowns, and we said, that's not just. We confronted these lenders, and they would not drop their interest rate and change their uh, presence. So we went and talked to legislators in our state. And through the pressure of these 52 congregations and synagogues, we got our whole state senate to put a ceiling on these interest rates to change the whole regulatory process on that and, 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 and to change it so that the poorest of the poor would not be gouged. The other thing we found out is that these payday lending places were not in the wealthy suburbs. They were in the inner city where the poorest and the least of these dwell. And it's kind of interesting when people get in trouble, it would seem that they would cry out to God and say, God, show me how to get out of this trouble. But when you're in trouble and you don't know God, you become like a silly dove flying all over the place trying to find help. And here Israel was in help, was in need. And they said, well, let's run down to Egypt. Listen, Egypt was your slave owner. Well, let's run to Syria. God had already prophesied that Syria is going to take you into captivity. And friends, you and I, when we lose our God, we become silly. We start doing crazy stuff. And friends, when you see saints doing crazy stuff, you know they've joined themselves to others and they've lost their affection. Would you hunt your neighbor for me and tell them, don't start acting crazy on me. It's crazy to lay down in bed with people you do not know. There are so many sexually transmitted diseases out there that the center of disease control, they said that that there's some that there are no cures for and no treatment for. It's crazy to lay down with people you do not know. It's just crazy. That's a silly dove. Witless. You say, well, they look all right to me. You cannot see a microorganism with your eye. It's like when I go to foreign countries and they tell folks, don't drink the water. And they pour this pristine water in a glass and people look it up and say, well, it looks all right to me. I say, are you crazy? (laughs) Friends, when you and I lose, uh, lose God, 
It becomes silly. I asked one of the rabbis in, in, in our justice uh, movement in our, in our city. I said, tell me how the Jews see sin. And he said, one of the figures of speech we use for sin in the Hebrew is that friend uh, that sin is called temporary insanity. You just lose your mind. And friends, not only did God say about Israel, they were stubborn. They had joined themselves to idols. Leave them alone. Uh, They were a cake half baked, useless. They were decay because the foreigner was rising up. But he says, you're like a silly dove. You're all over the place. And when people look at the church, that's the way they see us. Half the church says, uh, you know, well, we're for the Democrats. Half of them say, well, we're for the Republicans. And half of them say, well, we're for the Tea Party. And, and, And they use scripture to back up their position. Just like silly doves all over the place. You have somebody prophesying, well, this is a man of God and a choice of God. And we look like silly doves because when a Republican's in, we say, pray for, for your leaders. And when a, and when, when a Democrat gets in, we, we say stuff like, oh, that couldn't be God. And friends, we're like silly doves all over the place. Jesus is not a Democrat, a Republican, a Tea Party member. He's not a liberal or conservator. He is the son of God representing a different kingdom called the kingdom of God. He himself said, my kingdom is not of this world. I encourage people to vote. But I said, don't bring that mess in here. Vote for who you believe. But friends, don't be like a silly dove all over the place. Because the world looks at us and they can find leaders all over the place. Half, you find, they always find that one leader that says, okay, same-sex marriage is ordained of God. And then you get another leader saying that they're going to go to hell. And friends, we look like silly doves all over the place because it's time for us to seek God to find some answers because the world is asking the questions, do we have the answers? And if we're as confused as everybody else, how can we help a nation? Israel is stubborn. Israel has joined ourselves to idols. Israel is like a cake half baked. Israel is decaying because foreigners are rising up and they and she is becoming very low. Watch this now. Israel's like a silly dove. And then watch this in verse number 13. It says, woe to them. Woe to them for they have, for they have fled from me. Uh, destruction to them because they have transgressed against me. Though I redeem them, yet they have spoken lies against me. God had redeemed them and brought them out as a nation. And yet now they were fleeing from him. Friends, when I read the Bible, the first man, when he got in trouble, he fled from the presence of the Lord. And God had to go on his first missionary journey to redeem him. When his son Cain kills Abel in the book of Genesis, it said, and he fled from the presence of the Lord. Here, Hosea says, Israel, when they got in trouble, they fled from the presence of the Lord. Even the first disciples, when Peter denied the Lord. And Christ went into the grave. He fled from the presence of the Lord. The women came and said, he's risen. And he said, go tell the disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. And Peter's out there on a fishing boat, hiding from the presence of the Lord. And friends, I find the churches in hiding because many places you go, the prayer meeting in the church where we meet God is sometimes the smallest meeting of the week of the church. I preached on prayer for almost an entire year at our church last year. And one of the things that happened in the prayer life now, our first Wednesday prayer is the largest Wednesday night attendance in our church. Because I said, when you're in trouble and you know you're in trouble, that's not the time to run from God. That's the time to run to God. And friends, you and I, we need to make our couch our altar. We need to make our floor our altar. We need to make our, our, our resting room, our altar. An altar is a place where you meet God. And one of the things about Abraham is that he built his altars, then he pitched his tents, and then he dug his well. Altars, tents, and wells where the next generation could drink from are critical. And here it said they had fled from God. They were running from God. Adam ran from God. Cain ran from God. Israel ran from God. And now we find a church that is running from God. We need to prepare our hearts to meet with God. But friends, even though they were having this indictment, God gives them a word of hope. Could you turn back to now Hosea chapter six and verse number one? 
Because the prophets never left us without hope. Would you look at your neighbor and say, here comes grace. Okay, no matter how much God indicts us, some grace is coming. You know what the prophet then says in chapter six, verse number one, after going through this indictment with them, he says this, he says in, in the King James version of the Bible, he says, now listen, come, let us return unto the Lord for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has smitten us and he will bind us up after two days. He will revive us. And in the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Watch his verse three. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord for his going forth is prepared as the morning and he shall come uh, unto us as the rain and as the latter rain formal and the rain upon the earth. New King James says, come, let us return unto the Lord for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has stripped uh, stricken us, but he will bind us up after two days. He will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up uh, that we might live in his sight and let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord for his going forth is established as a morning and he will come to us as the rain, like the latter and the former rain. See, God promises that even if we go astray, He still has a covenant with us because remember the other night we talked about establishing covenant. We talked about the difference between born, being born again and between being in covenant. And one of our challenges, we have a lot of people in the kingdom who are born again, but they're not in covenant because a covenant is an exchange between two people. And most people that are in word of faith and charismatic churches, and I pastor one, they know all the promises that God has given to them, but they have made no promise to God. And when you and I have a marriage and they enter into covenant, the, 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 the pastor just doesn't stand there and ask the groom, will he do A, B, C, D, E, F, G? Then he says, then turn to your bride and say, I and say your name will A, B, C, D, E, F, G. He then turns to the bride and he says, will you A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. If so, say I do. And she turns to him. And says, I do. And then he said, then say to him, I, and say your name will A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. And with the exchanging of vows, covenant is cut. If he's just talking to her promise, then there is no covenant. And we have too many people coming to church that knows everything God said he wants to do for them, but they have promised nothing that they want to do for God. And covenants only established when you say, God, because I am a Christian, I will show up to church every Sunday. I will worship you once I get there. I'll set a tenth of my money aside unto you to show that I'm honoring you with my substance. I'll live right between Sunday and Sunday. I will bear witness of you in the community. I will influence everything I touch by being the salt of the world because salt only influence what it touches. I will be the light of the world because I'll stand around and if I'm saying nothing, I'll shine and folks will know God is in our midst. And we need to start telling God what we will do for him. Because for those of us who are in covenant, he said, man, if you stay in covenant with me, even if you go astray, I'll promise that though I tear you, I will heal you. Though I strike you, I will bind you up. After two days, I will revive you. I'll make you alive. And then in the third day, I'll raise you up so that you can be in my presence. Think about the church. 33 AD, the church starts. Christ ascends. He rises from the dead. He shows himself with many infallible proofs. And then he arises on high and sits down at the right hand of God. 10 days later, 33 AD, the Holy Ghost falls. And 120 people come out of another upper room. The church is formed. 120 people come out of that upper room. And because of their influence and the power of the Holy Spirit upon them, every nation and every kindred and tongue of all the earth is gathered there for that feast in Jerusalem. And they hear God being declared in their own language, unknown tongues, tongues of fire has set upon them. 3000 people get saved and 3000 people are baptized. And now at the end of the first day, the church is 3,120 people. 
The church continues to grow and it presses and it goes from Jerusalem being to Judea and then to Samaria in Acts chapter 8 and then to the othermost parts of the world. By the time they hit Acts chapter 10 or Cornelius' house, the church is now getting ready to invade Europe because now Cornelius is a Roman citizen. He's a European. The, the gospel is also gone to Ethiopia. And, and, and it goes down into Ethiopia. And there's a wonderful book but written by Thomas Oden about, about the African roots of Christianity because most Africans have been taught that the gospel went from Jerusalem to Europe and then down to Africa. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that the gospel went to Samaria. And then there was a little black man called an Ethiopian eunuch that got the gospel. And took the gospel down to Ethiopia. Listen, Africa and Egypt were some of the first nations that were totally converted to Christ way before Europe even heard the word. The gospel went east, then it went north, and then it came south. And so the gospel goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the othermost parts of the world. The church grows in the light of persecution. By the end of the book of Acts, it's about 64 AD and the church is going through extreme persecution. Paul uh, is, uh, is uh, beheaded about or is, is, uh, is persecuted and dies uh, in uh, about, about 64 AD. And the church continues to grow under great troublous times. John is the oldest of all the New Testament apostles, about 100 AD it is now. And John causes the church to continue to grow. He becomes such a disturbance to his culture about 70 years from Christ that they don't know what to do with John. They try to kill him. He won't die because you can't keep a good man down and he won't die so they put him out on the little island called Patmos and when he's out there on that little island called Patmos man he starts writing and he writes the book of the revelation sends message to the seven churches and then about 100 AD he dies the church continues to grow and now the first of all the apostles have now the early apostles have died and from 100 AD uh, to about 300 AD the church grows in light of extreme persecution About 315 AD, all of a sudden, the church, our history, the church grows. And then all of a sudden, Constantine sees a symbol of the cross and says, rise, conquer in his name. And Constantine then signs an edict of tolerance. And now the church becomes uh, becomes popular. The Roman uh, Empire says that Christianity is the uh, religion of our church. And from 315 until 600 AD, all of a sudden, we see the formation of the formal institutional church that we call the church at Rome. From 600 AD until about 1500, all of a sudden the church goes into the dark ages. It leaves the Lord. It starts serving ritual more than it serves the Lord. Uh, indulgences are introduced to the church. Indulgences are people can pay the church to, 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 to get their loved ones out of purgatory. Purgatory is now introduced that your friends don't really go to heaven or hell. They go to a middle ground. And if you pay the church enough money, then you can pay them out of purgatory. Lighting candles, formalism, different dress, different rituals are entered in and the churches in what we call the dark ages. But all of a sudden in 1500, come let us return on the Lord. He has torn us, but he will heal us. He has smitten us, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will, he will heal us. And in the third day, he'll raise us up to set in his sight. Listen, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is about a day. And in about the middle of the second day of the church, 1517, a man named Martin Luther, a light turns on. And he's a Catholic priest and, and, and he's seeking God, crawling up some steps and he's, and he's looking for a way to find his way back to God. And all of a sudden he hears a scripture, the just shall live by faith. He signs uh, his thesis, his nine five thesis and tacks it to the door and they're getting ready to kill Martin Luther. And all of a sudden they, uh, he escapes and he writes uh, his theology down and all of a sudden the church begins to get revived. All of a sudden, the church revives itself and all of a sudden people begin to question baptism by sprinkling and baptism of infants. And all of a sudden, there's a great controversy over infant baptism and people say people ought to be immersed. And then there is a difference in language that emerges because up until that time, people said I was a baptized believer. But now they start preaching believers baptism and a baptized believer means that I was baptized at this particular point in time and I found belief here. But believer's baptism says, I believe. And then I was baptized. And people like the Quakers and the Puritans emerge from Europe. And because of extreme persecution over this truth, they emerge and they go to the new world. 
The 1700s people begin to believe now that if we just keep it pure and if we keep it holy, God will begin to move in our midst. And all of a sudden, then the Wesley brothers are released from England about 1800. And they start saying that the ministry should not just be dominated by professionals, but it also ought to be dominated by the laity being trained. And they started training lay leaders all over the church. And all of a sudden now it's the church, his body mobilized and great revival takes place. By the time we get to the 1900s, we are now poised for a revival in the Holy Ghost in the 1900s falls in the United States and falls various places in Europe and various places globally. And we have what we call the Pentecostal movement. Come, let us return unto the Lord for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has smitten us, but he will bind us up after two days. He will revive us. And in the third day, we raise us up the set in his presence. Go 40 years out of Pentecost. And all of a sudden the latter rain movement comes because in Pentecost, we learned we had to tarry for the Holy Ghost. And I don't know how many of you came through and got the Holy Ghost by tarrying with some, uh, some old church mothers would get you down in an altar and they'd have some oil and some tamarines and they would say, hold on, hold on, hold on. And then somebody else would be beating the tamarine saying, let go, let go, let go. And the Holy Ghost somehow would come. But all of a sudden through the latter rain movement, they found that you could lay hands on folks and the Holy Ghost could come. Signs and wonders and miracles begin to come in the 1940s and they called it the latter rain movement. We had the former rain, now the latter rain, as uh, Hosea has said, because God, even if we will seek him, he'll bring us back our former glory. In the 1950s, all of a sudden, because we had been filled with the Holy Ghost and had that latter rain, true evangelists began to be released to the kingdom of God and to the body of Christ. Billy Graham and many other evangelists were released around the 1950s. And they began to preach and salvation began to come and the church began to grow. Out of that movement, then in the 1960s, there was a real emphasis on pastoral ministry and pastoral ministry that would see a vision of God and pursue God. The 1970s, God began to have a real emphasis on teachers and the teachers were restored to the church. People like Dr. Hagen emerged during that time, even though he'd been around for a long time. Kenneth Hagen, Jerry Seville, Frederick Casey Price, and the emphasis was on teaching. Not only do we want to be inspired by preaching and saved by preaching, but we also want to be understanding. In the 1980s, all of a sudden, God said, it's time to bring my prophets back on the scene. And there's a real sweep across the world of prophets starting to emerge who would speak the heart of God and give us the emphasis of God. The 1990s, a real emphasis on, on the, on the uh, apostles coming back to the church to set the church in order and to mobilize the church to do world and global evangelism. Now we come to the time of 2000 and now there's a real emphasis on the church, his body, the church, his body, that we're a multi-membered church now. We're a multi-member church where he's coming back for a church and we have our apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor and teachers restored. We have the Holy Ghost. We have proper doctrine. We have proper baptism. And now he's saying, come, let us return unto the Lord for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has smitten us. He will bind us up after two days. He will, he will heal us and then he'll raise us up that we might live in his sight. I believe that the church can be poised for those of us who seek God for us to be raised up to live in his presence. And we will know the Lord if we follow on to know him. I believe Hosea 6.1 is a prophetic word because a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And even if we stray from the Lord, he still has a covenant with us. I'm going to still revive you. Let me talk to you about revival because I can sense in some of the moments that we've had while we've been here that this church could be poised. Usually when God sends revival into an area, first of all, a refreshing is sin. And a refreshing is usually when God just kind of drops down in our midst. And God just kind of hovers. And, and, and the sanctuary becomes his habitation. Some people want a visitation, but the sanctuary should, really should be a habitation. It's a habitation where God says, I like what's going on here. And, and, and contriteness and repentance and worship and sensitivity to God creates an atmosphere where God can not only come but rest and remain. Now listen, when I say come, don't, um, don't, don't, don't think about the fact that God goes and comes. Listen, God is everywhere present at all times. He is omnipresent. But what worship does and repentance does and being honest with God in the presence of God does, it brings us into an awareness of the all-present God. We draw near to him. He draws near to us. He's here, but he makes himself known. And see, it's possible to be here and not known. I know when I go out of the country, many times as I'm returning to the country, uh, now I can do it with a cell phone. Then I used to have to do it on the phone before I left the country. I would call my wife and say, I'm on my way back. 
When I get in New York or Los Angeles or wherever I land, I would tell her I'm back in the country. And then when I got my connecting flight, I'd say, I'm back in Atlanta. I'm back in Dallas. I'll be home in two hours, one hour. So now she knew I was in the world, but now I'm in the country. Now she knows I'm not only in the country, but I'm in a particular city. When I would land in Columbus, I said, I'm home. And she would say, well, you're in Columbus, Ohio. And then I would drive up in the driveway. And when I opened the door and the alarm starts beeping and I go and turn it off, she knew I was in the house. But see, it's one thing for her to know I'm in the world. It's one thing for her to know I'm in the country. It's another thing for her to know I'm in the city. It's another thing for her to know I'm in the house. But I can't wait to that moment when I get face to face. You see, when, when I go out preaching, I tell my wife, you know, you know, all, all I need when I get home is three things. I said, I need good food, good sleep, and good sex. <laughs> Men, that was a good place to say amen. amen. I said, I don't ask for much. I don't ask for much. I've been out working hard. That's all I need. And I can't wait to that moment to be face to face. Why did I use that analogy? Because do you know that worship is seen as intimacy with God? Not being vulgar. Worship is that intimate time with God where you and I come and we are aware of his presence and we get face to face. And, we, and we, we come to a place in worship where nobody else can do this for us because nobody can tell her how much I love her like I can. I stop talking about God and I start talking to God. And you know what? In the book of Hosea, that's all Hosea wanted from Gomer. That's all God wanted from Israel. And that's all God wants from his church that we stop talking about him and we start talking to him and we say, I want to eat at your table. I want to sleep and rest in your presence. And I want to be intimate with you so that I can be changed into your same image and knowledge by Christ Jesus. I want to worship you and I want to adore you for who you are. I want to be like the Shulamite woman in, 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 in a, a song of Solomon chapter five. Where he comes and he knocks on her door and he says, open to me, my love, my dove, my undefiled. And she says, I've washed myself and I bathed. And how can I get up and soil myself? And all of a sudden he keeps on knocking and he says, open. And she does not open. And all of a sudden she awakes from her sleep and she said, it was the voice of my beloved. He was here and I did not know it. She goes and she runs to the door. She opens the door and he's left a bundle of myrrh perfume on the door. Her hand drips with the myrrh. And all of a sudden, he has withdrawn himself. And when he withdraws himself, she grabs her cloak and she says, I got to go find my beloved. Friends, somewhere we've lost Jesus on our journey. He came and he wanted to visit us, but we lost him. And she goes and she grabs her cloak and she runs through the city. And the guards, the tendons of the gate, they say, what are you doing out here? And she says, I'm looking for my beloved. And she runs into the city and some of the daughters of Jerusalem, they see her. And they say, what are you doing out here? And they take off her veil, her hood off her head. They say, you're the queen. What are you doing out here? And she says, I'm looking for my man. They say, girl, who got you out here tripping like this? She said, oh, let me tell you about my man. She said, she said, he is tall and he is ruddy. She says, his locks are black. He does not change. His lips drip of myrrh. He tasted death for me. She says, his eyes are like dove's eyes. He sees in the spirit. His hands are full of rings. He has authority. She says, he's straight and upright. And he said, and his belly is like overlaid with, with ivory. She said, his feet are brazen. He's gone through the fire for me. She said, this is my beloved. This is my man. And they say, girl, if that's him, where is he? <laughs> That we may pursue him also. (laughs) Adoration is when you and I talk about the Lord. Who he is and you got to know him face to face to be able to describe him. And do you know that that's all evangelism is? Evangelism is nothing but praise and worship on tour. Going out in the community, talk about this one that you love. Talk about the fact that he has saved you, that he's redeemed you, that he's washed you, that he's cleansed you, that he's uh, that he's with all authority, that he's tasted death for you. And that's all evangelism is. It's praise and worship on tour. Come, let us return unto the Lord.
for he has torn us or he's smitten us and he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bind us up. In two days, he will revive us. And the third day, he raises up to live in his presence. See, when revival comes, it's first of all a refreshing. And a refreshing is when God begins to now renew our first love relationship with him. But refreshings turn into visitations where we understand the presence of God is is here in a conspicuous way. A conspicuous way means that when people walk into the atmosphere, even sinners fall down to say of a truth. God is in this place. That's not only an Old Testament principle. That's also a New Testament principle because in 1 Corinthians 14, it says when somebody prophesies, even when one that is uninitiated, someone that is a novice, someone that doesn't even know comes in and they hear you prophesying and having revelation and speaking things that are easily understood, they will fall on their face and say of a truth, God is in this place. A visitation is when the conspicuous presence of God is so known that even when people come in, they say, this place is different. I had a man from Nigeria come to our city and he said God called him as a missionary to America. There are several African nations and now Pastor John, Korean nations who are sending missionaries to our country. Because America has become a heathen nation, we have failed on our watch. We used to be a sending nation, but now we are a receiving nation. And this man from Nigeria, Sam Adiemi, came to our city. And he said, I was driving through the city, and God said, I will show you where the rest is. He said, I drove by churches, and I knocked on the door, and somebody would answer over the intercom and said, what do you want? He said, my name is Sam. I'm from Nigeria. I want to come in your sanctuary and pray. And they would not let him in. Why well, are you a member here? No. And they will say, well, I'm sorry, you can't come in right now. But when he got to Rama Christian Center, thank God for trained staff. He said, my name is Sam and I'm from Nigeria. My wife and I have just arrived in the city. We saw your church. We just needed a place to pray. Can we come into your sanctuary and pray? And they said, come on in. And our men met them at the door. Sanctuary doors open because we had people come through our sanctuary all day long to pray. And he knelt down and he prayed. And he said, and when we stepped into the building... We sense the presence of God. See, God not only dwells in these earthen temples, but I believe it's possible for him to dwell inside of a brick and mortar, uh, brick and mortar uh, buildings. And a visitation is when uh, the hour of his uh, of his uh, episcopacy, his his oversight just comes in and just settles into a place. And you know that God is there for a while. And even when people come in, they know that God is here. We don't have to stand up and announce God is here. Everybody comes in and they know that God is here. You see, refreshings turn into visitations and visitations then should turn into revival. And you see, the text says as a word of hope for us in verse number two, it says after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we might live in his sight. Listen, revival happens when now. That which God is doing inside of us through visitation and inside of the corporate body through uh, uh, what God is doing in us through refreshing and what God is doing inside the corporate body through visitation now begins to spill out into the street. Revival is not really called revival until something changes out there. When something changes in Seekonk, you can call it revival. When something changes in Providence. Somebody said, that's the impossible dream. No, 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 no. Not when revival comes. Somebody might have said that about Los Angeles when Azusa happened. But revival happens when they start writing it up in the paper. Something's happening down on Bonnie Bray Street, on Azusa Street. And they said something has happened with the conspicuous presence of God has happened and happened at Ashbury College. It's happened various places across our world. Why not here? Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us and he will heal us. He has smitten us and he will bind us up after two days. He will revise us in the third day. He will raise us up to live in his sight. Friends, I believe that as a church moves into God and we have repentance of our sin. Whenever God comes and puts his finger on an issue in our life, if you and I would be open to hear his voice, we will know him 
if we follow on to know him. I'm going to read the last, and Ray, you can come, Pastor Ray. Uh, I'm going to read the last few verses in the book of Hosea, chapter 14, verse 9. Chapter 14, verse 9. In chapter 14, there's a call to repentance. In chapter 14, there's also a promise of pardon. But in chapter 14, verse 9, there's a final admonition. See, in chapter 14, before I get to verse number 9, verse number 4, he says, I will heal you, 14.4. I will hear the backsliding. I will love them freely, for my great anger has turned away from him. I will be like the dew to Israel and shall grow like the lily and strengthen his roots like Lebanon. God promises Israel his branches shall spread. His beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. And those who dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. And their scent shall be like that of wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do? Anymore with idols. You know, God wants us to get to that place. He says, I'm finished with that stuff. Do you remember the day that you finished with that last drink? Do you remember that day when you finished with that last drug? Do you remember when you finished with that last immoral relationship? Do you remember when you finished with that last Destruction. There's a day where they say, I'm finished with idols. Everything that takes my loyalty, my affection, I'm finished with it. And in verse number eight, it says, and I have heard and observed him. And I am like a green cypress tree. Hmm. Your fruit is found in me. Verse number nine is my final exhortation to you this year. It says, who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. Can you say that? The ways of the Lord are right. Now watch this. And the righteous walk in them. Say that. Now let's do it together. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But watch this. But transgressors stumble in them. Say that. See, the final exhortation is that the ways of the Lord is right. Everything that God does is right. Those who have a heart for righteousness, watch this. They will walk in that which is right. Those whose hearts are bent on transgression, they'll stumble at that. I always weep at moments like this because I know that though there are many people who will come in closer and closer to the Lord in these moments, there are some that will still struggle with the compromise. They'll say, how can I leave him? How can I leave her? How can I leave it? I want you to know, what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and lose his soul? There is nothing that I can hold on to that is greater than my love for the Lord. Come, let us return unto the Lord. You see, what I call you to this year is to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Friends, if you've ever had a spouse that was sick and you thought you were going to lose them, when they got well and when they came home from that hospital, I'll tell you what, the love is deeper. It is greater. It is a greater commitment because Sometimes we start taking something that we've had for granted all the time. I remember a few months ago or about a, yeah, a couple of months ago, what was really a month ago, my wife had an allergic reaction to a medication. She was feeling bad and all of a sudden she started having pain shoot through her body. Next thing she could not get out of her chair. My son and I literally had to carry her across our arms and carry her from the chair to the bed. She was all up all night, racked in pain. Every time she would move, it was like she said somebody would put shockers on her. I 
laid my hands on her and prayed for her. And I was up all night long trying to say, let me help you because her body was in pain. And I'll tell you what, as we called the doctor and got him on his phone and he said, that's an allergic reaction. Stop taking the medication immediately. And then she began to detox her system. And I began to see her come back. You see, if you've ever had a spouse that's been under any kind of attack, I'll tell you what, once they get well, once they come through and you thought that you were going to lose something that was valuable, you love deeper, you love more. It's in the tough times that we learn to really appreciate what we have. See, when you and I fall in love with Jesus, man, I never want to think about the fact of losing him. Really, he doesn't leave us, but we leave him. And Hosea is a call to come back to the Lord. I know we have wonderful music here, but every one of us need to be worshipers. It's one thing to have a clean leader. It's another thing to have a clean church. It's one thing to have intercessors that pray. It's one thing. Another thing to have, have a church that prays and a praying church. And repentance, prayer, intercession, and a craving for the presence of the Lord will bring refreshing visitation and revival. If there was ever an area in our nation that needed to feel all three, this is that area. I want you to clear your laps for just a moment. And I just want us to take some moments and just fall in love with Jesus again. You know, he's the best thing I've ever, ever known. Father, we just come to you tonight because uh, you have said about your church and about Israel, Father, that, that we're stubborn. You said the picture when we chase after idols is that we joined ourselves to idols, leave them alone said we're like cakes half baked useless if we're joined to idols that the cake comes upon us and we don't even know it we're like silly doves all over the place huh and we flee from the Lord Father tonight we call this church back to intimacy with you Father like when I come home from a trip and I say Lord what I want is I want a good meal Teach us how to dine at your table one more time. Your table of the words, your communion table of covenant. Where we exchange our commitments to one another. Teach us how to rest in you. That we cease from our own labors and enter into your rest. And God also, would you teach us something else? Would you teach us that intimate time with you? That you have promised that we should have. God, now we pray. Why don't you go ahead and join me as I pray. Uh, Father, forgive us. Forgive us for being distracted by other things. Oh, God, forgive us. Father, forgive us for other choices that we've made. Father, forgive us for pursuing other things that were not beneficial for the kingdom. Forgive us for being distracted. Father, forgive us for joining ourselves to the ideologies of this world. Forgive us for trying to be contemporary and therein becoming vulgar. Forgive us, Lord. Father, forgive us today for for being distracted and, Father, not having set aside times of worship. Not having intimate times with you where we say, I love you and I adore you and I appreciate you. Forgive us, Lord. Father, forgive us. Father, for neglecting the place of worship. Forgive us, Lord. Oh, God, forgive us today for everything that we have done and bring us back into that one relationship with you where you are ours and we are yours. And today we have a consistency of walk in relationship with you. Oh, God, we determined to fall in love with you. Fall in love with you in just such a meaningful way. That we can adore you and love you from the depths of our hearts. And oh God, we choose to love no other. I want to show no more affection to anything more than I show it to you, Lord God. Teach us your ways, O Lord. So that we can walk in your truth. And give us that understanding heart. So that we can follow you. Now you go ahead, take a few moments and talk to Jesus. Go ahead, talk to him. Jesus.
Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.